Good morning. It is really a, a privilege to be able to gather together and to worship our Lord and Savior. Stand with me and please read together with me responsively um, the call to worship found in your bulletins. It comes from Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Let us pray together. Truly, God, it is great to be your children, to be a part of your kingdom. And Lord, you provide for all our needs. And here we are gathered today to worship and glorify you. May our songs and our praises and the scriptures, Lord, and the different things that come throughout this service lift you up. Holy and mighty are you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. I want to invite you to take a few moments, share a word of peace, a word of grace and greeting with others who are here in worship today. It's always a joy to welcome back to uh, our church missionaries that we support and particularly people who've lived in the community. Ellen Casali is here visiting for a few days and uh, she's going to be sharing just a few moments about the ministry that she and Rod have with Wycliffe. Good morning. It's wonderful to be back in Houghton, one of my favorite places, see all my good old friends, and meet some new people. So greetings to all of you, and um, this is just a brief update on what we're doing with Wycliffe. We're um, at CANIL, which is the Canadian Institute of Linguistics. It's out near Vancouver in British Columbia, and we have been there now. This is the start of our eighth year. Rod is on a brief um, sabbatical this semester, but he's nevertheless unbusy. He is trying to finish up some linguistic papers that have been collecting dust on the desk for many years. He gave one at the University of Simon Fraser last week, which was well received. He's also trying to work on an ongoing phonology computer program, which will aid in the development of languages that are only spoken in helping them to be reduced to a written form and through the phonology end, speed up things for workers that are on that continent of Africa. God is blessing the program at CANIL. We have many students that come from Canada. We have several U.S. students, but many international ones as well. Students come from places such as Russia, Norway, um, Argentina, Jamaica, um, the United Kingdom, New Zealand. We have some MKs there. We have several Korean students that come. And a lot of the international students, English might be their second or third language. For the Koreans, it's definitely their second language. And they have to study this very technical course in a language that's not familiar to them. So when you think of the students, especially the international ones, pray for their enlightenment of the English language so that they can really grasp the principles of translation and literacy work. Um, I'm part-time at CANIL. I'm a receptionist there. I do a lot of helps for people outside the office, whether it's haircuts or mending or member care. Um, I'm quite busy doing that. But um, our students that go through the program, the master level students especially, you can get a BA in linguistics there. But the two MA programs we offer, one is in linguistics and the other is linguistics and exegesis, they're usually there from two to three years. So we get to know the students quite well and kind of like a big family. And we get to know them by having them at our house or playing volleyball with them, having a lot of personal interaction. So our students, once they graduate, they go on to do translation. They might be uh, literacy workers or specialists, consultants. Some of them um, will teach at Bible schools. Others will go on to train nationals. So the, the MA students are very dedicated and very eager to get on onto the field. 
I'll just give you a quick update on our family. Chris is married and lives in Kansas City with his wife and is finishing an MA in history. And um, he'll be done in December and then looking forward to teaching junior high. Andy um, was married a year ago, and they have a brand-new baby. So I'm a first-time grandma. And he lives nearby, so it's just 14 miles away. Amy's second-year university student at Trinity Western, where Wycliffe holds his classes, so we see her occasionally. And she's doing very well working with international students. So thank you for supporting us all these years and your love and your kindness to us. And this isn't last but not least kind of thing, but... Last year in November, the Nowari New Testament that we went as Bible translators to Ghana for 27 years later was dedicated. And there's a book out there on the table if anyone's interested in seeing it. So it's in God's time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ellen. It's great to have you here and have you back. There's just a few other things I want to highlight in the life of the church. Um, Operation Christmas Child is just getting going, so please take note of that if you are going to participate in that. Uh, Also, we are continuing to gather recipes for our uh, fruit recipe book related to this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we'd love to have your recipes. Even if you've submitted some, there's still a few gaps to fill in, and we'd love to have more. We are also just uh, two weeks away from beginning our fifth annual prayer vigil. This is a time uh, that uh, we spend the first three weeks of November praying 24 hours a day. And we have created the prayer room space for, for you to come and to pray. And you can sign up uh, this morning after the service. or You can sign up online through the church website anytime. But during those beginning November 3rd at 5 o'clock in the afternoon to November 24th at 5 in the afternoon... Our, our plan, our goal is that every one of those hours, somebody would be in the prayer room praying. We are doing, uh, there are a lot of things there in the prayer room that have been there before. And if you haven't yet been in the prayer room, I invite you to take a moment and go downstairs and look, take a look at it. It's, there are a lot of different things in the rooms. Uh, we are also adding in the next, uh, well, in the next week or so, 10 days, some things related to the fruit of the Spirit that will help us as we pray through that as a part of that prayer vigil. At the same time, we are also going to begin this year with a prayer walk. And the kickoff uh, gathering will be at 4 o'clock on Sunday, November 3rd. And uh, we will, uh, we're going to uh, canvas as much as we can Houghton and the surrounding towns where uh, we live. And uh, just walking through, driving through, praying for our communities and asking God's grace and blessing on our communities. So we'd love to have you be a part of that. And you can sign up in the back for that. And the only reason to sign ups are just to uh, help organize folks into the places where we're going to meet. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that as well. I, I, I am convinced that this prayer vigil is one of the most significant things that we do in the entire year of life of the church. We have seen so many amazing things happen as God has worked in us individually and corporately. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. So begin signing up now uh, for an hour or more. You can sign up as an individual, as a family, a couple, friends, however you want to do that. Uh, But uh, to sign up and to uh, begin uh, seeking God during these times that we pray together. I want to invite you to take your bulletins and uh, we will pray together the prayer of confession.
Let us pray. O God, your being is love, and all your works toward us are mercy. Forgive us when we stray from our confession of faith into thinking that you are like the gods of this world who demand destructive sacrifices in exchange for their favor. Cleanse us from the injustice that goes hand in hand with idolatry. Illumine our minds with knowledge of God by your Spirit, whoever points to Christ, that we may return to you in true repentance, acknowledging you as the source, the giver, whose attitude toward us is one abounding in unfailing generosity and steadfast love. In the name of Jesus Christ, who trusted you through death to new life, amen. Our God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In his great mercy and according to his promise, God will cleanse us from our sin and restore us in Christ's image. To the praise and glory of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Scripture reading from the Old Testament that I'll be reading is found in the book of Second Samuel, and it's chapter 9. It refers to David and Mephibosheth. Second Samuel chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show David's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled with both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor. David said, Mephibosheth! Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons, your servants, are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, the grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, 
because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to serve us as we give our tithes and offerings, let us stand together and sing the doxology together. that you will take these gifts, these tithes and these offerings and use them to your glory and honor. We pray that you will grant wisdom to those who will be handling these monies and enable them with good stewardship to make them useful to your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may As we turn to the Lord in prayer in these moments, if you would like to come and kneel at the altar rail and offer your prayers, I invite you to come and to join me.
most holy God. We come today in gratitude for your mercies. We thank you for the words that you speak into our lives. Words of joy and peace, words of love and grace, words of hope, words of truth and conviction, words of life. We are here today because you have spoken to us with such depths of kindness and mercy and grace. And we come to worship you. It is our prayer, Lord, that as we receive your words into our hearts and souls and into every part of our being, that we will be channels of your words to others. Through the words you speak to us, we may speak words of peace and joy and grace and conviction and truth and life to one another. Father, as we come today, there are so many needs, burdens that we represent. We think of people in need of healing, people who are grieving, and we pray for your mercy in their lives. We think of situations that we are facing related to our work, our homes, our friendships. And we pray for your grace to be evident as we surrender every situation to you. We think of this world in which we live. A world that is marked by famine and drought, poverty and injustice, greed and violence and war, hurt and pain in all of its various forms. And we ask for your spirit to come and to bring transformation to our world. We pray for our brothers and sisters in places of the world who face such hardship, and we ask for your mercy upon them. We pray for Rod and Ellen as they work in ministry, helping to train linguists. And we pray that you would encourage them and bless their ministry. And we thank you so much for the completion of this translation that they and others have worked at so long. And we pray that it will be a blessing. Father, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your mercy upon us. And we thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
The New Testament reading is from the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And it's chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you will open our minds and our hearts to your life.
and to your light, to your grace and mercy. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. becoming apparent to most of us, I think, if we have any connection with the news that despite our best efforts, bullying is not decreasing. It seems to be increasing. It's a different kind of culture than when I was a child. When I was young, bullying met hands, fists, feet, words spoken into your face. Now, much of the bullying takes place is cyberbullying. And I think people are less concerned about it and they say more than they might say otherwise because they're hiding behind a phone or a computer. But the effect is the same. And we live in this culture of of unkindness. In fact, I saw something the other day, an article that that said that actually in a lot of of, uh, junior high and senior high settings... Uh, bullying is seen as sort of a badge of honor. It's how you get into the, to the popular group. And I, my heart sunk. And yet as much as, we, as much as we bemoan that, the reality is we are continually rewarding that kind of behavior. Who, who rises to the ranks of, of, the, of the highest people in business? It's the people who walk over others, who crush them, who are willing to do what needs to be done to get to the top. Who, gets, who, who rises to the top in politics? It's the, it's the people who, who are willing to you know, run over anybody to get what they want. I mean, we see this all the time in all the various facets of life, and we continually are rewarding it. And it's killing us. Because the way we treat each other, the, the things we say to each other in person and, and in cyber means, and, and the way that, that we are, are, are struggling to, to connect with each other is creating disconnect. I mean, I find it fascinating that more and more we are disconnected from each other, and yet people share more intimate details of their lives with each other than ever before. We just do it through Facebook and things like that. And I think in the underlying that is this yearning, this this desire, this passion for connection. We're looking for something. And I find it so fascinating that people, people will go onto sites and do all kinds of things for the sole purpose of meeting people face to face. And we live with this, this struggle of Wanting anonymity and wanting connectedness. And we're looking, for, we're looking for a touch. We're looking for a word. We're looking for eye contact. Something that will say to us, you're valuable. You have significance. You're important. I think all this was going through my mind when someone sent me a video clip this week. And, and I just thought it was so powerful. It's about uh, an artist, Marina Abramovich, and her artist artistic display is called The Artist is Present. And I want us to watch it this morning. It's just two minutes. 
as we see or as we hear her tell the story and watch this unfold. For artists present, I decide to be there in MoMA entire duration of the time of the opening of the museum, which means three months sitting there. I knew this is a big chance to show the power of performance art. I prepare for this piece almost a year because I knew it's going to be physically so demanding, so difficult. The curator was just telling me, you have to be ready that in the front of you will be empty chair most of the time. Because nobody could imagine in New York, the most busy place in the world, that would anybody take time to sit and just engage in mutual gaze with me. So it was complete surprise for myself, to the entire staff of MoMA, and to everybody else. This enormous need of the humans to actually have a contact, how we are so alienated from each other, how the society makes us really distant. You know, we are texting each other messages without seeing each other, and we just live around the corner from each other. So many stories of loneliness. And uh, the people not that just occupy the chair, there was no one second when this chair was empty. They start sleeping outside of the museum and they start waiting for hours and hours and coming back. And what is happening there? I'm looking at you. You're photographed, you're filmed, you're observed by the, everybody else in this atrium. So there is nowhere to go but into yourself. At the moment when you really get into yourself, that moment bursted with emotions, with so much feelings. And this is why so many people start crying. They become such important experience in their life. We are not doing this in our own home because we are doing everything to actually cut that relation to ourselves. But here I made a stage for the audience that they can be able to do that. So something really happened there, which was different than anything I'd done ever before. And during that time sitting, this idea of the Marina Abramovich Institute. It's fascinating to me that she created this artistic display, just a space, empty space, two chairs, and invited people to come and sit down and just gaze into each other's eyes for a little bit. And as she says, they didn't really expect anyone to come, but they came. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. People lined up outside the museum for that opportunity to sit in that chair and engage eye contact. There is a yearning in our souls as human beings for something more in this culture of disconnectedness. In this culture of unkindness. Now, we as a culture have, you know, society has, has worked at trying to create ways to, to think more about kindness. There was a few years ago a, a sort of an ad campaign of do random acts of kindness. And, and people would, you know, go into, walk into a coffee shop and somebody might pay for the coffee for everybody in the place and then walk out. Or they might pay for the toll of somebody or a few cars behind them in, in the line at the toll booth. Or they might go some night and rake the leaves of some random person around their town and, and, and no one would know what was happening. 
And, and it, was, it was an amazing uh, display of kindness. But as one author says, it does say something about our society that simply doing a few random acts of kindness gets us all excited. You know, that we, we are so in... We're so burdened and we're so, we're so yearning so much for some kind of kindness that we'll grab hold of anything. I read about a church that was participating in this and they, call, they were calling different grocery stores around the town where they lived. And, and, and the pastor called one grocery store and the guy answered the phone and talked with him a little bit and told him what they wanted to do. And the guy said, well, I have to talk to the manager about it, but let me see if I got this straight. You and some people in your church want to come to, to our grocery store and you want to clean up the parking lot and you want to gather up all the carts and you want to hold umbrellas for customers who are, might be walking in the rain and you don't want anything in return. He said, yeah, that's right. So the guy went and talked to the manager and came back a few minutes later and he said, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to let you do that. If we let you do it, then we have to let everybody do it. <laughs> really? You know, it, it, it reminds, there's, people always think there's an agenda. You know, there's, there's something going on. You surely can't just, you don't just kind just to be kind. It's like the saying goes, be kind to everybody because you never know who's going to show up on your jury if you go to trial. There's that kind of kindness, right? There is a different kind of kindness, that Paul is talking about. And the Galatian Christians are arguing with each other. They are dividing into factions. They are, they, they, they are in dissenting groups. They are communicating with each other harshly. And Paul says, look, if you talk so much, you talk so much about being filled with the Spirit. You're always talking about walking in the Spirit. You're talking about how spiritual you are. Well, let me tell you, if the Spirit is in you, here's what should come out of you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we wrestle with that because we, we're all about kindness, but often it's with an agenda. We are kind to people so that they will come to Christ. And that's good. We want people to come to Christ. It's the mission of the church to bring the world to Christ. But there is a difference between being kind so that and just being kind. And I think Paul is talking about just being kind. Talking about living a life of kindness. Not just talking about kindness, because of all the fruit, this is one of those that you can't just talk about and say we're good. If you aren't doing kindness, then you aren't really kind. But it's being kind. And as you read through the scriptures, there are all kinds of ways in which kindness is connected to life and what it means and how it's defined. You see kindness connected to humility and compassion and dignity, restraint, respect. 
You see kindness connected to forgiveness, sacrifice. Now it's, it's what we see to a certain degree in the story of David and Mephibosheth. David's become king, he's established his kingdom, everything is settled. And he says, are there any other family members left of Saul, the former king? Now, that's not an odd question for a newly established king to ask. Because you ask that question, you find all the family members of the other king and you eliminate them. Because that's how you fully establish your kingdom. No, nothing, no one else to undermine what you're doing. And so David says, let's find those people. And that's why he says to Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. I'm not here to kill you. I'm here to show kindness to you. And remember, this is the grandson of the man who chased David all over the countryside trying to kill him. This was the man who forced David into exile. And David says to him, you're going to come and live at my palace. You're going to eat my food. I'm going to take care of you. That's that kind of sacrifice. But the motivation that you see in this is that David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father and Saul's son, they are best of friends. And it's because of his promise to Jonathan that he is kind to Jonathan's son. And, and that kind of kindness is good, but I think Jesus takes it even deeper. And when you read the Gospels, you see in the life of Jesus some phenomenal things about kindness. When I think of Jesus and kindness, I think about little children. It's one of the reasons I love that window. I like just gazing at that window and because I don't often picture Jesus holding a little baby or a toddler. And I sort of have this image, as someone said to me this week, I agree, that of Jesus, of these children, all kind of, you know, they're dirty, they've been playing, they're a little grimy, stuff on their faces. And they come running up to Jesus and jump into his lap. And the disciples are saying, get those kids away from him. And Jesus becomes angry and says, no, you let these children come to me. This is what the kingdom is about. And I can see them jumping all over him. And he's laughing. And it's awesome. I think about Zacchaeus that everybody else wants to avoid because he's a tax collector. And Jesus sees him up in a tree and he says, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch. And they go to his house and Zacchaeus becomes a changed man. And I think about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. First of all, she is a Samaritan and Jews don't get along with Samaritans. You don't talk to Samaritans. She's a woman and Jewish men don't talk to women in public. And she has been married five times and the guy she's living with isn't her husband. She has had a messed up life. The last person in the world, three strikes. And yet here is Jesus sitting beside her, listening to her, showing respect and dignity to her. And I think about the prostitute who comes and anoints Jesus' feet with oil 
And all the religious leaders are up in arms about it because she's a woman of ill repute. And Jesus is so kind to her. And he respects her. And he, he, he maintains her dignity when the others want to take it away. And I think about the feeding of the 5,000. They've been listening to Jesus teach all day and they are hungry. And the disciples must be hearing some grumbling and they say to Jesus, we've got to get rid of these people. And Jesus says, no, 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 let's feed them. What? Can't turn them away. And I think about that upper room on the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He's meeting with his disciples and he takes a towel and a basin of water and he washes their feet because they would not humble themselves to wash anybody else's feet. And I think about Malchus. They're in the garden. The soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And Peter swings his sword and it cuts off Malchus' ear, the servant of the high priest, the avowed enemy of Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. That's not what we're about. And he heals the man's ear. I'm convinced Malchus is a different person from that day. And hanging on the cross, his life is ebbing out of Jesus. He looks down and he sees his mother. And despite the agony of body and soul, Jesus says to John, take care of her. Jesus is not just about random acts of kindness. It's who he is. It's every part of his being. It just oozes out of him because he is filled with the Spirit. And random acts of kindness are good. It's better than random acts of violence. It's better than doing nothing. But there's really no risk involved in it. I mean, it's great. You walk up to the counter and the barista says, hey, the guy paid for your coffee. Cool. But you go pull up to the toll booth and they said, you know what? The guy in front of you, he paid your toll. That's great. I don't know that person. I will never see that person again. The the kindness that Paul's talking about, the kindness that we see in Christ is connected to people. It's about relationships. It's about risk. Random acts of kindness, you do them. You never know how people respond to them. But in relationships, you can get hurt. You can be rejected. And Jesus is rejected. And yet, he continues to be kind. And that's the problem with all of the fruit of the Spirit. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's real life stuff. And it's a challenge for us. I've talked a number of times about Richard Mouse's book, Uncommon Decency. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. The very last two pages of the book, he tells two stories about himself. And one of them, he's, he's pulling into a mini mall parking lot. Place is crowded. He's looking for a spot. He sees one and whips into it. And as he's turning into it, he hears this horn honking go off. And it keeps going and he looks over and there's a woman sitting in her car and it's all of a sudden obvious to him that she's been sitting there waiting for that spot and he took it. And she is very, very, very unhappy. She continues honking her horn and she does a few other things to let him know how unhappy she is with him. And then she takes off and goes to find another place. 
he gets out of his car and he goes looking for her. And he finds her and she's getting out of her car and he says to her, I am so sorry, I did not see you there. I should have been paying more attention and I didn't, forgive me. And she bursts into tears. And through the tears she says, you just don't know the kind of day I've had. And she starts to talk about it and then she says, forget it. And she starts walking away. And then she stops and turns around and says to him, thank you. The second event takes place about two weeks later. He is bringing his vehicle back to the car rental agency. He's standing at the counter talking to the agent. And they are having a heated disagreement. The agent says that he owes them for an extra hour. And Richard Mal says he doesn't. And he said, we were really getting into it. And he said, I was angry and I was frustrated and I was letting him have it. And in the midst of this discussion, the, uh, the manager of the agency comes over and she says, can I help you? And he, in a very irritating voice, explains to her not just the problem, but why this guy is wrong. And she looks at the contract and she says to the agent, her employee, he's right. And then she says to Richard Mao, honey, you look like you could use a hug. And she walks over and she gives him a bear hug. And so I can just feel all the tension just sort of flow out of me. And I turn to, that, to the, the gentleman at the counter and I apologize as profusely as I possibly could. Instead, it taught me a couple of things. One is that kindness is hard. We get so wrapped up in life and so wrapped up in our stuff that we are unkind sometimes without even realizing it. And the other is the power of a hug. The power of human interaction. The power of a, kind, a gesture of kindness that's real. Personal. It's hard to be kind. And that's why it's imperative for us to understand that our kindness, the kindness to which we are called as children of God, is rooted in God who is rich in kindness toward us. There are a number of passages in the scriptures that are translated with different words that could be translated kindness. Psalm 23, 5. Surely kindness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is kind. Psalm 136, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is kind. Uh, You know, you can translate that in a variety of words, but there is something in my mind that communicates a little differently saying God is good and God is kind. And Paul says in Romans, God who is rich in kindness 
has bestowed his grace and kindness upon us. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is kind and my burden is light. And in Ephesians and Titus, Paul talks about the kindness that is ours to the sacrifice of Christ. This word kindness, the word krestos, it, it is connected in ancient Greek to, it often is used to describe a person who is an ideal servant. Someone who, who as a servant, it does exactly what they should do. They're the best. They serve in the right way. They serve with the right kind of grace and the right kind of spirit. And, and that sort of triggered for me as we were thinking about what kind of fruit to use, triggered for me grapes because I had in this mind this, the king lying on a couch being fed grapes by a servant. And then I realized it's not Jesus lying on the couch. Jesus is the one feeding the grapes. And that position of humility and servanthood to which we're called. And that's what brings us to this table because this table is a stark image of God's kindness for us and the call and his call on our lives to be kind. And and at this table we see so clearly that in God's kingdom kindness is always costly. If it doesn't cost us something to be kind, then we have to ask, is it really the kindness of God's spirit? Because the kindness of Christ takes him all the way to the cross. And he says to us, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. And follow me in kindness, in sacrificial, self-giving kindness the kindness that is thinking about others before ourselves thinking about how we can give rather than how we can take the kindness of Christ why are we kind what gives us the motivation to be kind what gives us the the ability to be kind well part of it's a want to But it's really rooted in God's kindness for us. His spirit in us, changing us, transforming us, working in us, shaping us into the image of Jesus, who is kind. Gracious Father, we thank you for your mercy to us and for your kindness. We are undeserving, totally and completely undeserving. But we come today in gratitude, and we ask that you will help us to embrace your call to kindness. We pray that your spirit will work in us. that we might have a passion and a yearning
be channels of your kindness. Father, as we come to this table this morning, we pray that you pour out your blessing and your grace upon these elements of which we are about to partake. As we eat and drink, may we know the power of your spirit in our lives, individually and corporately. And may we be filled anew with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup and again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention. It means to dip in. And as you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. If you'd like to stay and pray, the altar's always open. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups and we are happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know that uh, you would like to do that. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with a heart open to God, with a desire for God's grace to be at work in your life, come Receive these gifts from our gracious, kind, Heavenly Father. Body and blood of Christ. Body and blood of Christ.
want to invite you to uh, stand and sing together the closing hymn, Those Who Are Holy, which is uh, printed as an insert in your bulletin. I want to encourage you again this week, as we've done throughout the series, to think about um, where you go from here. And there are cards at the ends of each row, the inside and outside. Please be sure to take one of those with you this morning. And to write something, whatever God lays on your heart about kindness, whatever he may be speaking to you about, write it down there and ask him to fulfill that. At the same time, if um, I want to encourage everyone, as we've been doing, to spend five minutes a day, each day this week, praying for God to implant kindness into us. That the, in a soil of our hearts, the roots of kindness would become strong and that kindness would grow out of our lives. And if this morning you would like to talk with someone, you would like to have someone pray with you, Uh, The elders are downstairs and would be happy to do that as the service is concluded. Receive the benediction. May our God, who is rich in kindness, fill you, body, soul, and spirit with his kindness, that you may go forth this day and every day to live in his peace and his joy.